In today's episode, Josh and I take a look at all the games we've been playing recently, and then take a deep dive into some of the Kickstarters that are going on right now for your benefit. Enjoy. Welcome back to another episode of Board Game Impact. My name is Bruce Brown, and what we seek to do here on Board Game Impact is to tell you about the experiences that we're having in this amazing hobby, so that way you can make informed decisions for yourself and for your gaming group. And how we do that is we apply our, some of our educational backgrounds at looking into this. And I say we because there's a co-host, and his name is... I'm Josh Isringhausen, co-host. And... Uh, Together, both of us are sharing our experiences that we're having in this wonderful hobby. Um, and so, Josh, with that, how about we just jump right in and tell listeners about some of what we've been playing lately. What's something for you? Sure. So uh, the first thing I wanted to bring out today is uh, a game I'd actually been trying to get to uh, get my hands on for a while now. Um, probably since BGGCon uh, last November, and that is Teotihuacan, City Ooh. of Gods. Uh, so this is designed by Daniel Taschini, I believe is the way his last name's pronounced. Um, forgive me if I'm wrong. Uh, published by NSKN Games. Uh, Teotihuacan is a um, a Really interesting, um, has some really interesting mechanics to it. Uh, the the core concept of the game is you are building the uh, pyramid that is at the center of Teotihuacan. Teotihuacan is a, um, a city um, from the Mayan culture uh, in Mexico, or sorry, not Mexico. Just going to draw a blank on where that city is located. I got you. Hold um, on. Keep going. It is a uh, pyramid that you are building on the table or on the board with these almost like mahjong tiles. Mm -hmm. um, there's some really interesting ways in which you're placing them this to score you points based on some some character designs that are on top of them um, as you build upwards to this pyramid. Um, and in order to do that, you are taking your workers, which are dice and moving them around the board, collecting resources and researching new technologies and uh, building some decorations, uh, all different ways in which you're ultimately scoring points. Um, the thing that really intrigues me about this game is the way in which your workers are placed. Um, all, your, all of your workers are on the board at the start of the game. Uh, and as you move them around the board, you will actually age them, um, starting at a one and then moving to a two, three, four, five, and then ultimately allowing them to ascend to the heavens as they become elderly and old and um, then come back to bring you um, some positive um, points or, or rewards if you um, age them out. Uh, so there's some really, really interesting choices and and ways in which to play the game uh, i had a blast with this one um this is the spiritual successor to zulkin which mm. is um by the same designer his initial game um also based in that 
Mayan civilization. Right. And so just really quick, Teotihuacan, the real thing, is um, a vast Mexi- Mexican, so you were right with that, um, mm. archaeological complex northeast of Mexico City. And running down the middle of the site was a once flourishing pre-Columbian city. And it's the Avenue of the Dead that links up the temple and the Temple of the Moon, Pyramid of the Moon, the Pyramid of the Sun, and both of which have a, like, Beautiful, beautiful panoramic views of summits if you were to climb them. Um, but Sulkin has a different take. It actually uses the Mayan calendar, which is a wheel, and it has those three different gears that spin that kind of change the actions you can take, um, which is pretty fascinating. Uh, but Josh, yeah, keep going. Yeah, so actually one of the really fun and interesting things about this, uh, or at least my play of this game, Um, is I actually played with a a good friend of mine who is by education and career path an archaeologist. What? Um, Someone very familiar with the history and um, the architecture and the, um, you know, the archaeological dig that uh, has occurred in, in Teotihuacan. Um, that sounds so phenomenal. A lot of these elements, so the things you even mentioned, you know, the the Avenue of the Dead and the um, pyramid the, of the moon and the the moon. So there, uh, one of the ways in which things score is your rounds are dictated by how close you are and the movement of the sun in relation to the moon, and you score at the eclipse, and so. There's a lot of really, really interesting mechanical pieces built in that are directly related to the history of this location. And so it was very fun playing with someone who who knew all of that history and knew all of that background and was able to kind of talk about the actual real-world um, – implications of some of the mechanics of the game and it was i mean it it just really enhanced that experience for me a lot like playing with someone who who was so enthusiastic about this this um this archaeological dig so i gotta Um, ask did he say did this individual say that the game did did the history of teotihuacan justice like does that come through in the design so we didn't get so much into it. I mean, she it, she is a, a, a female. Um, she is in love with this game. Um, she thinks it's a phenomenal design. Um, and and you know didn't really have anything negative to say about right the the history and the 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 archaeological dig. Yep. So I'm I'm assuming that that's a positive note, right? Um, mm-hmm. I feel like. You know, if if someone was designing a game about education um, and I was trying to look at this educational system game that was messing things up, I would probably call it out. So I'm going to take that as a as a good thing that there were no negative comments. And and I mean, we all had a really good time. I'm really hoping to get this back to the table as, as soon as we're able to. My challenge right now is. This falls into a very broad category of games for me, which is four-player games that I love, and my game group is typically five to six players, Ooh, so it's rough. harder to get them out to the table. But yeah. I I highly recommend if you have any interest in 
I mean, really interesting worker placement type games. It, it, I wouldn't call this a worker placement game, but it has that kind of feel to it and the decisions that you're making. Um, and if you like that style of game, if you like kind of a brain burning um, kind of point salad style mm-hmm. game, um, it, it's a phenomenal design. I, I'm, I'm really impressed with it. Yeah, sadly, I have not gotten a chance to play this one, so I'm really thankful that you can walk us through this. Um, but in the fall at Board Game Geek Convention, so BGG Con that took place in November, which tickets are still on sale for, um, almost sold out. So if you want to get to that in November, hop on to BGG. Um, I was actually volunteering, and I saw this was in the hot games area. They had two sets of it set up, and people were playing it constantly. Like There was never a time that the table was empty, and people were talking about how much they absolutely loved it. And so I'm glad to hear that it's really doing some great things for y'all as well. Absolutely. So, Uh, Bruce, what are you playing? So I've been coming from a different perspective lately. I don't know what's going on, but things have been a little different for me with gaming. I don't really don't know what's going on, but honestly, I've been playing older games <laughs> a lot more over the last couple of weeks, and one of them is Catan. Um, now, I know for for those of you who aren't familiar with Catan, Catan is one of the most wide-selling games. It's probably the number one gateway game for most people. Um, it's even got a movie deal <laughs> with Sony, uh, but it is a it's. A game that came out in the 90s, uh, Klaus Tuber over in over in Europe, won the Spiel des Jahres, uh, so German Game of the Year. It's simple, simple game in which you uh, have different settlements on the board. You're rolling dice uh, just to see what resources pop up into your hands, but then you're trading those resources with people. First person, 10 points wins. Super simple game. Uh, what actually inspired me to play this one was I saw a post online for a weekend tournament about three hours away uh for about two weeks ago and uh for Catan for it's a Nash it was a national qualifier for the uh US Catan tournament that was happening down here in Texas. And I was like, you know what? Like I'm curious. I haven't gotten this to the table since grad school. So when I was in grad school, um my university was hit with a hurricane, although we were in the Midwest, and we were without power, heat, and hot water for 120 hours, and we had to kind of supervise the students, but we had nowhere to go, and so we set up shop in the lobby of our building and played Catan hour on hour for like three days. Um, so I was a little Catan'd out for a couple of years, but I don't know what it was, but I had this inkling to bring it back, and I've played it a bunch since. Um, Josh, have you been have you played Catan often at all? Out of curiosity. I, so similarly, I, I have not played Catan since probably grad school. Um, you know, it I right, it's the same experience I think a lot of people have of it is a game that I played surprisingly I played surprisingly little compared to most people I think that are into the gaming hobby. Um, I probably only played three or four games of Catan in my life. Um, I pretty quickly found other games that I enjoyed a lot more, um, or that had a lot more interesting interactions. Um, I mean, I think Catan has done wonders for this hobby. Um, and I think it is an 
a great game for people to have on their shelves if you have the opportunity to introduce a lot of new people to games. Um, yeah, and that's actually one of the things that helped me play it. Uh, so I had family visiting from New York, and my mom's a little older, um, but she's trying, right? She, like she's trying to like play games with us and stuff. And so my wife and I and my mom actually played this three-player, and she freaking loved it. Um, she won, um, so she loved that. But it was a really great game for me to like just be able to teach her some mechanics. Um, it's super lightweight. When you think about the spectrum of games, once you get into them, for a new gamer, it might be a little daunting. Um, but once they play it a couple times, like they are good to go. Like I didn't really have to look at the rules at all for this because it was honestly a cathartic experience. It was kind of relaxing to play something that I've played so much of in the past that I could just go out and play and not have to think about it and not have to stress or do a puzzle, um, but just do a nice, competitive, shorter, fun game. Um, so that was kind of nice. Yeah, I, I mean, and I think this is a great example of a game that, right, playing with your mom, I think is a great idea, like great way to introduce someone who probably has had some experience, like experiences with games have ended at Monopoly and Sorry and, right, those games that no one or very few people think back fondly upon um, <laughs> where it's a game that you have a lot more enjoyment in terms of the interactions you have with people. Mm -hmm. um, the player interaction in that game tend to be very fun mm -hmm. um, and a lot more community building um, and, and having some interesting conversations. So I, I think it, introduces the concept of board games as something more than just roll a die, move around a board and do something. Yeah. Especially um, because it does have that modular setup where every time you play it, the board can look slightly different, uh, but it does have that hallmark of rolling something that people have, were used to who've only played monopoly, things like that. Um, so it, it doesn't fully eliminate that, but it changes what that could mean. Um, and so, yeah, it's just been something that's been fun for me to bring back to the table. Um, this is still widely available. Like you can get it at target, you can get it all over the place. It's super easy to find. Um, and so if you're hearing this and have never played it, you need to try it. Um, at least try it. If you go to a convention, there's probably a, like a actual carpet with it that you can play on with bigger pieces just cause it's that widespread. Um, but yes, yeah, so that's one of the things that's been coming up for me. What about you, Josh? Great. So, uh, speaking of games, you can find at target. Um, this was an, uh, kind of a, a unique game that I, not a style that I typically play. Um, it is a game you can find at target. It's called chameleon or the chameleon. Um, I've seen it both ways. Um, so it is a game that is uh, essentially you have a it, it's more of a party style game. You have a card set out in the middle of the table in which you everyone is looking uh, and it has a whole list of something. So the category may be like mythical creatures and it has vampire, minotaur, dragon all sorts of things or the categories food and it has different types of food. Everyone gets dealt a card and 
you have two dice. You roll the two dice. You reference the card that is in front of you, and it tells you. So it will tell you which uh, word on the center card you are looking at. That is the uh, clue for this round. Everyone has a, the same card, so everyone is looking at the same word, except for one person who is the chameleon. You then take turns going in player order, giving a one-word clue to the word that is on the center card that you've been asked to look at or to reference. The chameleon's goal is to give a clue that would lead people to believe that they know what the word is, even if they don't. Everyone else is trying to give a clue that establishes they know what the word is, that they are not the chameleon, but doesn't give away the word to the chameleon. So you have to be super um, clever with this in terms of what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, it, 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 it brings out some really interesting thought processes and some interesting kind of, you know, three steps removed kind of thinking. Um, it, it was a it was a fun light little party game. I I really you know we had a good time. It was we brought it out at a dinner dinner party. Um, it was real easy for everybody to pick up on. Um, kind of looking at the card and matching um, what the card in front of you versus the card on the table can be a little bit confusing at times. But once you have that basic concept down, it, it becomes really simple. Uh, and, and, you know, a, a, a lot of fun for, for a bigger group of people who may not necessarily want to play something heavy or, or play something that is uh, a little bit more thinky. And what seems um, really, what seems really nice about this, cause it's one of those hidden role games, right? And, um, <laughs> so you're trying to balance that, but it doesn't really sound like it's that much pressure on the person cause everyone is having to allude to the word a little bit. Um, and so you're all trying to do the same thing, which kind of, I know for me, whenever I'm playing a secret role game, I sometimes get super stressed. Like I'm going to screw this up for other people uh, mm -hmm. and I'm not going to do it right. Or it's, I'm a one role and everyone's kind of against me and like, are they going to figure me out? Uh, but it sounds like everyone's kind of on the same page of kind of how they need to operate. And so it just sounds like it's a nice, simple rule set and kind of decreases that hurdle that sometimes you can see with these kind of things. It's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it was a, it was a, it definitely has that. It doesn't have as much anxiety as a lot of other hidden role games. Like whenever you get that, the most anxiety I experienced playing this game is whenever I picked up my card, and it said you are the chameleon, and I was the first person to have to give a clue, so I had no other reference to point to to like put me in the right uh, general vicinity or direction. Sure. Um, and so that. You know, but right, that's a fun way to do it uh, or a fun way to play. I, I kind of went a route of like, I'm going to say this very specific word related to like 80% of the board. <laughs> and if everyone assumes that I'm wrong, now I've whittled, uh, narrowed down what my options for the right word is to like two or three words. Um, so it, may, it makes for some really interesting um, kind of thought processes. Um, it reminds me a lot of a game Spyfall. Um, oh, yeah. if you don't know, uh, if you've played that or heard of that, 
kind of has a very similar concept, um, except you're people in a location rather than just picking a word. Um, so I actually like Spyfall a little bit more than this. I think Spyfall is the the step up, um, a little bit more gamified version of this game. But either way, I don't think you can go wrong for just a light little party game to throw out on the table when you have um, people over for dinner or something like that. Yeah, and what I'm seeing is essentially it's only a $20, around $20, maybe $22, $23 um, MSRP. So for that, just to take to a pub or something seems super simple. Um, so yeah. that's cool. Um, well, continuing on the tr- on my trend, I've been playing another old game that I actually owned for a bunch of years and then, then didn't start playing until about a year and a half ago. I don't know why. I've actually, this game has now meant a lot to me in terms of a fun, basic Euro game. Um, so like really just focused on mechanics that are going on there. That's just been fun to take out for when I have higher player counts. So like that five, but hopefully six player count. And that is Power Grid by Freedom and Freeze, which actually came out in 2004. Um, so Power Grid, for those of you who don't know, it's essentially you are all electricity barons, and what you're doing is you have this map. It's a double-sided board. One side's the U.S., one side is Germany. There's a whole bunch of expansions for other countries that you like, even a very funny one for Australia where it's only up and down the East Coast, which is super funny. Um <laughs> But essentially what it is, there's spots where you can build your little power plants. And over the three phases of the game, you have a power plant and then a connection. It's essentially a pipe. Then the pipes have varying lengths and you have to pay different amounts of money to use those pipes. Just like you're, if you were building a power plant, it's, you're going to have to pay for the infrastructure for where the power is going to go. Um, and you play it up until someone gets to a certain number of power plants. And that's determined by the number of players playing the game. Uh, that triggers the end of the last round. Uh, but then at the end of the game, it's not having the most places on the board. It's actually being able to power them. And so this is a very tight economic game where you're having to balance your resources because there's a market um, that's out there on the board. There's actually an auction mechanic that works in reverse player order. So the person with the least number of power plants gets to... Um, gets kind of some benefits with all that. And so what's really nice is you're trying to balance powering things versus getting money at the end of each turn. So it's a really fun little game that I've been able to play a bunch of times now. Uh, and it always plays out slightly different in a cool way. So because it has this kind of area control, you kind of block people in. But then as you've advanced from stage one to stage two, more spots get opened up in each city. And so you can you could block somebody in, but then they could move right past that. Um, so it's a really just cool back and forth kind of game that this is. It's it is super dry, um, but you can have a lot of fun with it by kind of how you're interacting with the board and kind of touting oneself as uh, essentially an energy baron. It was just kind of fun. Uh, the rule set can be kind of different for people because you do play, you'll do one thing in one order and then the next two things. So building and putting like, so putting things on the map uh, and things like that, you'll do in an opposite order. And so it's just, once you understand the fundamentals of it, it's super easy, but there can be a small learning curve for those who haven't gotten into this experience but it's a great game for people to learn Euro games and to learn some of these mechanics. Um, so I've brought it out to game day a couple times at the pub. Perfect for it. Takes up the perfect amount of room on one of those tables that we're all just having a beer, having fun. And it's nice to be able to see kind of be a 
proud of what we build, regardless if you win or not. Um, so it's just kind of fun. Yeah. yeah, I um, this is one of those games that has been in my in front of me a ton, and I've never actually sat down and played. Um, I I don't know why that is. I think initially the first time that it kind of came around and I was made aware of it, um, I hadn't really gotten into Euro games to the point that a that dry of a game really interested me. Um, you know, now I, I don't really, I'm to the point now that I don't really need that much theme to a game if it has really good mechanics. Um, when this was first introduced to me, that wasn't necessarily the case. Um, you know, I was, I was much more drawn to some of the more story, story or narrative driven games. Um, and, and every time this has come around, I'm like, you know, I would love to play this. It's to me, it has always been a sacrifice to the cult of the new of i would love to play this game but there's scythe or there's terraforming mars or there's insert whatever new hotness is hitting the table Mm -hmm. you know across the pub so um you know i i definitely love to to give this a shot it definitely looks fun it sounds fun um i i really love the the economic aspect of the game um just like I said, something that's never really hit the table for me. Yeah, and so if a listener out there is interested in this, you can get, there's a lot of copies of this available. But I have heard through the grapevine that they're going to be coming out with an anniversary edition of this because it's been so long. That's going to have upgraded components and just across the board. Because like the original one has paper money, um, and which is kind of going by the wayside, but like actual like paper, paper money instead of like the better plastic money. And so... I would wait just a little bit to pick it up, but um, but if you're like, ooh, this is something good, it's something older, this is something I can introduce, readily available, a lot of people know how to play it, so people might know in your gaming group or have it already, so I encourage you to ask, but there is a deluxe edition coming that I cannot wait, because um, I've just heard good things, but we'll see what happens and what they put into that, so time will tell. Sure, that may be enough to drag me in if you have some better looking quality components out there. I, I may have to check that out whenever it, 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 it drops. Yeah, I think you and I are both a sucker for better quality things, like just to be call it. Um, just, yeah. I'll, I'll, I will own that I am a sucker for any time a Kickstarter or Deluxe Edition comes out. I... I really enjoy a higher quality um, experience when it comes to components. So, Josh, what about when it's not a Kickstarter? The game company just did a phenomenal job with the quality of components. Do you have any games like that lately? <laughs> so, I'm going to jump back in on a, a uh, game that I've talked about in the past. Um, a company that I have talked about a lot the last two times I've been on this episode or on this podcast. Um, and that is wingspan, um, by Stonemeyer game designed by Elizabeth Hargrave. If you haven't heard me rant and rave about this game and how much I love it, go back to the first episode with me. Um, you will hear my enthusiasm come through there. Um, this game continues to hit the table for my game group. It's kind of earned a in my game bag that it sits there um it is a game that i don't even 
suggest or bring up in my game group anymore. Um, there are other games that I, I want to get out of my game yet bag. Um, but every time someone looks at it, the immediate jump is let's play wingspan. Uh, <laughs> like I said, my game group has a tendency to be five or six players. This is a five player game. It hits that sweet spot on it scales really well to five players. It's not overly long. If we have new players or a new player, it's easy to teach. It is easy to learn. The quality of components are second to none on this game. Uh, you know, I really, really enjoy, love this game. Again, go back and listen to me hype it up. But that's actually something I wanted to bring up with this is kind of hype. And the reason why I kind of wanted to talk about Wingspan in this episode is how much hype it has gotten and how I think that hype has influenced people who are finally getting a chance to play it or experience it a little bit. Um, the For folks who aren't aware about this game, when it came out, it sold out almost immediately. Like in a um, day. Yeah. I, I got... I just happened to follow Jamie Stegmeyer on Facebook, saw that he was announcing something, went to the website and waited for it to announce and pre-ordered it. Um, so I wasn't even aware that it sold out until friends of mine were going to look for it and finding copies for a hundred, 200, $300 on eBay and on for resale on Amazon. Um, I've heard as high price quoted as up to a thousand dollars that someone was paying for this game on eBay. Listeners, if you're interested in this game at all, please don't, don't do that. Do that. <laughs> don't do that. What is this game um, like? A fifty dollar MSRP ish? I think I paid forty five. I think yeah. forty five fifty. It's it's not worth that much money. Um, it is a phenomenal game and. And that I think it is worth waiting for. Um, this game will be back. There are two print copies or print runs coming. Yep. Um, one is actually um, on its way to the States right now. It, it is anticipated for mid April. So a couple weeks, um, the second print or the third print run is estimated sometime late May, early June. If you can't get a hold of this game, just give it a little bit of time. Yep. It it is a great game, but just wait. Um, but I think that much hype and that much interest has led some people to be disappointed when they actually play it. I will say it is not the meatiest or deepest game. It's just light, fun, really, really enjoyable, pleasant experience. Um, yeah, because it's only like but, 45 minutes to an hour-long game, right? Yeah, it's I would say with all new players, you're looking at probably an hour. But with experienced players, 45 minutes, if that is what you're going to get out of this. And it's it's a really good time, but it is not really thinky. It is not really heavy and it's not worth right a thousand dollars. It is not worth a hundred dollars. It is MSRP'd at $50 for a reason. Yeah, so I that actually, 
I just yeah, I actually watched through a bunch of stuff with my wife on this because I haven't been able to get a copy. I tried, um, but I'm just gonna wait for the next print run. My wife actually loved the fact of all the art on the cards has different birds and it has like little descriptions about them. Like she thought it was freaking adorable. And so if like you're if from my perspective, even though I haven't gotten to play this you can win people over on this game who aren't fully gamers. Like, don't get me wrong. My wife games, like that was a prerequisite, but that doesn't mean she plays every single game that we have or that I like, but seeing the birds like drew her in on this and she can't wait to try it. Yeah. My last playthrough was with someone who's not a big time gamer. They play light party games and the party was winding down. There was only five people left and, we're like, well, let's just do this. And she was in love within, you know, the first 30 seconds of playing the game. You're looking at it. The artwork is beautiful. The The mechanics are simple to understand. Um, yeah, it it really does. I, I think this is a great kind of bridge game. If you're looking for something to give you to bring somebody that next step, somebody who's maybe played some Catan or played some Ticket to Ride or, you know, some of our, those entry-level games, I think this is a great way to introduce them to some more complex game mechanics mm -hmm. and more interesting choices. But it's still a pretty lightweight game and pretty easy to pick up on. So if we look at the games we've already talked about for, like, the more lighter weight, so with Catan, we've got... Uh, modular boards, right? We've got mm -hmm. resource management and trading. With power grid, we add in economics. We've add in a little bit of auctioning, and we add in uh, essentially market fluctuations. And then in wingspan, we take it a different direction and add in an engine building game. Ga engine building mm -hmm. game, um, and so it's kind of cool. So each of these kind of adds in their own different perspective that can then have a gamer evolve from there. Because I think you and I could both recommend games that would be that next step after that as well, um, which is cool. Absolutely. But these games in themselves are also phenomenal. So, yeah. Um, Absolutely. So I can't wait to get Wingspan myself, Josh, and play it. And so I'll have to let you know once I'm finally able to get my hands on it. Um, but I've got one more game to talk about. And then we're going to take a quick break after that. Um, so, and then we're going to be jumping into Kickstarters because there's a lot going on right now. Um, but that game that I want to talk about real quick is actually the focus that we did for the entire deep dive last episode. And that is Root by Leader Games, which did fund very successfully, like $1.7 million on their expansion content, uh, which is just phenomenal. Congratulations, Leader Games, on all that. Uh, but we were just playing the base game because, A, with the episode coming out, some people in our game group here in College Station, Brian, um, they had still not played it, even though I've been bringing it each week. But... Over the last couple of weeks, on top of that, South by Southwest announced Root was Game of the Year. And then recently, very recently, BoardGameGeek.com announced that Root was the board game of the year. And so their, their game selection process is if you are a member of that website, but then also a contributing member, you get to vote. So you have to have a username, password, all that. Um, but it's a very interesting voting mechanism where you 
pick the games that you want to vote on, and then you rank them, and then it puts those together. So Root won for that. It also won for Innovation Game of the Year, and it also won for Art and Presentation for the Year. And so with all of that, people were like, just going nuts of, I have to play this thing. So I was getting messages in advance. So I showed up about a half hour early to game day, just have it set up and waiting for them. And it was a lot of fun. I will say that I did have an issue, though, um, because Root, for those of you who haven't listened to that other episode, please go listen to that. But Root is an asymmetrical game in which every player and every character has their own mechanics. It's, uh, so it's not just you have your own power, you have your own play style. So one is programming, one can be resource management, one can be more cooperative style play, um, and there's more if you add in the expansion content. So they just wanted to play this thing because they've been hearing so much about it, right? The struggle was that some of them might not have, uh, didn't really want to lean in because Root really is underneath the surface of this cute exterior is really a, like a war game. It's a, it's a war game with cute little woodland creatures. And so it took a couple turns, but then they, that it, they had this moment where it clicked for them and then they were rocking it and their points shot up real quick. But they didn't necessarily want to have that war game style, didn't recognize that it was a war game immediately. And so I, I think that I didn't do the best of job in portraying that because I was so focused on portraying the mechanics they were going to have to learn and explaining that and the dynamics that's going to create at the table. And so um, I do apologize for not conveying that part because uh, I do feel like I let them down. But there's only so much I can teach, right? Um, and so it was a, a lot of fun. Um, I was actually playing as the Woodland Alliance. And it was my first time using the updated rule set for them that they put out. And so it was super fun. I cannot wait to play it again. It's living in my game bag. I bring it every other week to game day. And so, yeah, it's, it's just hitting the table again for me. Um, yeah. Well, I'm glad to hear you're having such a good time with it. Um, I will be to give you a little bit of a break here. I don't think it is necessarily fair for you to feel the need to apologize for not relaying that this is a war game when the, the game designers, the artists, the publisher, did not design or did not portray that this is a war game, um, right? You look at the you look at the game on the board. Um, you look at the artwork on the box, um, all of that, and it's it is cute woodland creatures moving around. And you look at the mechanics, and the mechanics are may not necessarily like lead you to the conclusion that like oh you have to go and attack and harass and you know, destroy your opponent. Um, so, so I'll, I'll give you a little bit of a pass on that one. Thank Bruce. you. Thank you. But, um, I, I, I'm, I can't say I'm surprised by any of the awards or accolades that this game has gotten again, listener. If you, I highly recommend you go back and listen to our last episode. If you want my full opinion or Bruce's full opinion about this game, um, I'm really, really glad you are having a good time with it. I'm glad that everyone is enjoying it. Again, phenomenal game design. I I can't say I'm surprised. The artwork, really, really cute, sweet, fun. Not surprised that it is winning all of these accolades. And, and again, good on Leader Games for designing a game that is so innovative and so unique. 
to have captured the the minds of the board game community. I, I, so yeah, and so we'll see um, as the expansion content comes out later this year. We'll be circling back to this, uh, but I know there's some individuals that were at game day that didn't get to play um, that still want to that haven't gotten a chance. So I'll probably be playing it again. So if you stay tuned, I'll probably mention it, but not go as deep because it's becoming like an every other week thing. Um, and just like we end up somehow talking about Stronghold, uh, not Stronghold, but even though they make great, great games too, Stonemire games. I feel like I've also been just turning part of this into the root podcast. Um, and so, uh, but you will be hearing a little bit about it. But with that being said, it is a wonderful time of the year and it is all the Kickstarters launching and going on right now. And so Josh and I are going to take a quick break and then we are going to come back and let you know about some crazy, crazy things that are going on in the Kickstarter world that maybe you want to know about. Um, and so, cause they're pretty, pretty sweet. Um, so stay tuned. We're going to take a short break. Talk to you soon. listeners so josh and i have been talking over text the last couple days and we're like man there are a lot of kickstarters right now and we have a theory and that is tax refunds right josh i i absolutely i thought about this it it makes sense because i will tell you that my tax refund has not came yet and it is already gone (laughs) in large part due to Kickstarter. Yeah, so I think that it's just a wonderful time of the year. Um, Essentially, it's our nice time to support some creations that people want to make. It's their dream projects for a lot of these people, but they're really cool. Um, So in all that, um, Josh, I think we got to start off with yours, uh, just so that way we can tell the listeners. But listeners, there's a lot of cool stuff going on. And if you're not familiar with Kickstarter, real quick, um, Kickstarter is a crowdfunding platform. That means like, hey, person submits idea, you go on to Kickstarter and say, I like your idea. A lot of times there's some sort of product. So for board games, it's, hey, you're going to get a copy of this game early or you're essentially helping fund the initial print run of this. You're going to get a discount or some extra content that no other people are going to get. And people toss their money to show their support behind it. Um, That being said, Kickstarter has been a wonderful platform for the board game hobby and Board games dominate about a third of all of Kickstarter. Um, I was looking before, and there's something like 9,000 active products projects right now. Um, but Josh, let's get started, and just uh, let's have you toss one up that you've been watching lately. Sure. So the one that I um, am most excited at this exact moment about is the new game from Red Raven Games and Ryan Lockett, Rome. Uh, so for folks who don't know, Ryan Lockett um, is the owner of Red Raven Games. He is a game designer and artist. Um, so one of the things I really, really love about Ryan Lockett is he does it all. He designs, does the artwork, does the graphic design. Publishes. Writes the 
publishes, writes the rule book, the whole nine yards. It is all him, and he makes some phenomenal games. Uh, Ryan, actually, uh, with Red Raven Games, recently... Sorry, we're getting some dog interference here. <laughs> um, so Red Raven Games, Ryan has started to actually um, make a few lighter uh, games, uh, largely because he has a contract with Target to put some new games out. Um, this is not, I believe, one of the games that he has contracted with Target to make, but it was a complete surprise to me. Yep. I had an interesting uh, reaction to this because on Red Raven Games Facebook, they actually announced this project on April 1st, and I had to do a good like 30 to 40 minutes of research to figure out whether or not this was a prank or what the deal was. Yeah, because they've announced and, other games in this time. Yeah. Um, yeah, there there are other games that that they've been talking about coming out in 2019 that were far more in the front of my mind than than this. And I, I was completely caught off guard. And lo and behold, on April 9th, the Kickstarter launched. Rome looks very interesting. This is, um, it looks like you are, uh, you're using some explorers to move around the board and um, kind of wake up some some people who have been put to sleep across the land um, has some really interesting uh, what look like some really interesting spatial uh, placement mm -hmm. mechanic that um, I've seen. If you've seen games like uh, I believe Tiny Towns is a, a good example of this where you're placing um, cubes out on the board in a specific arrangement and it really looks like a really interesting mechanic and the way in which Ryan is implementing in this, I'm really, really excited about it. Uh, they say he's saying it plays between 30 and 40 minutes, um, a lighter game, easier to teach, easier to learn. Um, you know, that, that lower end will hit the table a lot for me. And I'm, I'm, thrilled to to have heard about this um it is within a universe he's created with some of his other games above and below near and far city of iron um, so if you're familiar with any of those games it is in the same universe go and check it out on kickstarter um relatively low price on this one too i believe the 22 dollars yeah 22 dollars uh i of course as we talked about was not satisfied with that. I had to go with the deluxe edition, so I will be playing a little bit more. Which comes but... with the animals promo pack, the metal coins, and an expansion. <laughs> Let's be honest, it was the metal coins. Yep, every time. So, um, but yeah, $22 is a really great little light pickup for me, um, and I'm really, really excited to, to see what this is when it comes out. Yeah, and so I this just launched, and so listeners, you got some time, but do check it out. It's pretty cool. So you're sitting, it depends how you sit, and you do this nice little spatial relation of putting the stuff out. Um, the first time I saw it, I was like, what is this? Because I thought it was a joke as well, Josh. Because um, he's, he's announced other games. He's announced Sleeping Gods. He just had a Kickstarter a couple months ago called Ancient World uh, like Version 2, essentially. 
And then he's also announced that he's working on a role-playing game set in this Arzium universe, which is so he's got a lot going on, and he's doing the art, like you said, he's doing the everything for these games. This game is lighter though, and so it actually reminds me of a game I've played from him. My wife and I played it on our honeymoon uh, called Eight Minute Empire, which is a very small little game where you're placing cubes down. Because essentially in this game, you're just placing cubes down. Well, you were going to be placing cubes. They unlocked when they hit, I think, the $55,000 mark, some custom meeples for each character, which is cool. Mm-hmm. But you start out with three characters. Once somebody has unlocked 10 cards and each card has six spots on the back of it. And so it's really easy for you to unlock those cards. 10 cards, you win. Um, and so I think this is a good, honestly, like filler game, to be honest. I don't know if you got that vibe. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, I mean, that's a main reason why I backed it. Like I, like I've kind of said the, the game in, in past episodes, the game, the place where I go to play games closes um, at midnight Usually we don't start gaming until about eight o'clock at night. It's really hard to get multiple games in sometimes. And this is one of those, you know, it's 11 o'clock at night and we don't have time for a bigger game. Drop this on the table, play a real quick round of it. That's kind of exactly why I'm excited about this. I I love Ryan Ryan Lockett's games. Uh, He makes great design. Um, He... Uh, I believe has has mentioned the the actual box that Rome will come in will be about the same size as Eight Minute Empire, so it definitely has that same kind of lighter filler game um, appeal to it, and that that that's a big reason why I I want to want to get this one. Yeah, and so listeners, do go check that out. That's Rome, not like R O M E. It's R O A M. It's blew out its original goal of a hundred uh, fifteen thousand and has added 100 on top of that. Um, so congrats to Red Raven Games on the success of this for this actually rather short turnaround in terms of marketing. Um, just really good job, as always. Okay, so I think that's really cool about Rome, but I've got a different type of story for you, Josh. Um, there sadly has been a canceled Kickstarter. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So this is District 9, the board game, and this is put out by Weta Workshop. So Weta Workshop is the company that really isn't that known for board games. It's really known in the movie industry for making all the props for A, District 9, and then more importantly, all the Lord of the Rings stuff, as well as some other movies. They make super high-quality special effect outfits, weapons, you name it. And they dipped their toes into board games a couple of years ago with a game called GKR, which stands for Giant Killer Robots, which, like, they made these little robots that stand up about as tall as your laptop opens, and they're phenomenal in terms of production quality. And if you've ever seen the movie District 9, it came out a good number of years ago. I think it was 2011. Essentially, it's Apartheid, the movie. <laughs> Because it's a alien race that comes to South Africa, which is where apartheid really took place. And they're essentially refugees. And they're trying to um, live in this society. And it's coming from the perspective of the UN working with these alien bug refugees, as well as these companies that are providing resources to them and kind of some of the stuff behind the scenes. So 
there's a lot of story that's potentially here. Um, and so they launched a Kickstarter to tell that story and to show it in a board game. Cause there's some really cool things that could come across with this. There's like super cool high tech sci-fi. There's, um, different factions already that have some cool kind of story elements. Josh, did you ever see that movie? I did not watch district nine. No. Okay. Um, and so that's completely fair. It was kind of like flew under the radar, but for some, it has a semi cult following just cause it's actually pretty important in terms of the lessons it can teach. So they launched this Kickstarter and they canceled it. Uh, they canceled it once they, they had a goal of $150,000 and they got to $78,000 with six days to go and canceled it. And they're out of New Zealand. So that's $750,000 New Zealand money, which is less in US dollars. Now, what's interesting about this is the game had these unique factions, like I already talked about, um, actually brings in some cool mechs, has a lot of custom components to this, really cool art. And it's a game that they say was going to be for any species of player, as in two to four players, but to go from 90 minutes to 180 minutes. Now, they were getting some flack because in everything that I've seen on this game, it's a really actually lightweight designed game. It, and the, the problem was that the backers were commenting saying, I expected kind of more. So we've already talked about Root and having really asymmetrical things. Well, if you think about it, an alien race versus the UN soldiers versus a corporation, that should be all be very different skill sets. And there wasn't that much depth put into the game design for this. And so they canceled the Kickstarter and they sent, sent out this thank you message. And they wrote, thank you. Uh, firstly, firstly, huge thanks to everyone who supported District 9. We've read all of your comments. We've reached out to many of you. Um, in the weeks into this campaign, it's become clear that there's some important stuff that we need to reshape in order to make District 9, the board game, compelling and exciting product for you guys. So we've decided to cancel it. It's been a tough decision, and we haven't been getting much shut-eye here at headquarters, but after considering all your valuable suggestions and feedback, we know in our heart of hearts that it's the right thing to do. Cancel now, regroup, listen, and learn, and then come back even stronger in the future. This isn't something we've really seen before like this. Like There have been canceled Kickstarters before, absolutely, but this one's kind of different. I'm kind of curious, and hearing that message, Josh, like, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean... I have some mixed feelings. So, A, I mean, good on a company to recognize that the product they were getting ready to lease was not living up to what they wanted or what their fans or backers wanted. Now, I mean, I will say I, I'm always a little bit dubious about companies' messaging, right? Because right. from what I – understand correct me if i'm wrong here bruce but it didn't look necessarily like this was going to back or no, going to fund it um, didn't. and so there is the the cynic within me saying is this an effort to save face and cancel regroup and come back with a new kickstarter saying we fixed everything or made it better in the hopes that it funds the second time around, right? Because does that messaging look better than we failed and now we're going to try again? So there is that. But I'm, I mean, I'm looking here on the on the BGG site and I'm looking through some of the photos. The the 
production looks really, really high quality mm-hmm. here. I listening to hear you talk about the the IP, it's not an IP I'm familiar with, but it definitely sounds like there's something there for a game to be made. Um, I I hope that this is a legitimate let us go back and relook at what the feedback we're getting is and retool some things, redesign it, listen to the board game community that we may not be as invested in as some other companies and, and take our knocks, learn from it and come back with a better game. I'm, I'm hopeful that, that these guys will, will do that for the fan base that they have. Cause I definitely think that there is, just looking at the the quality of the components, looking at the storyline, I think there's something to be had here, and and I I do hope that this is kind of a relatively new company in the board game marketplace, learning from you know what could be perceived as some inexperience in that marketplace and trying to come back with something that is a better, more fulfilling uh, product. And I appreciate you saying that. And I just want to clarify something uh, based on what you said, Josh, just to kind of see if I'm reading that comment, part of your comment correctly. Uh, Because something that we see sometimes in board game Kickstarters that I don't know that this game did, um, and I kind of commend them that they didn't, and that is that sometimes I see some really subpar goals. So that way it looks like this game is like super popular. It's hit past its percentage. It's got a hundred or a thousand or two thousand percent funded. Because there's a thing to that, right? That's a marketing tactic mm-hmm. versus this is a Kickstarter only thing. And did they put this goal at $150,000? And we're obviously not talking with them right now. They put this goal because. That's what it's just going to take, and they just want to be transparent. And like They have to hit that in order to make it happen um, versus some of those other tactics. And if this is a company that doesn't make a lot of board games and doesn't have a lot of experience in that, and looking at the quality of these components, if you are making a single print run of this, I can see $150,000 being what you need to make this a thing, to make this a reality and to make it at the quality that you are promising in your Kickstarter. And so, right, that's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm, I'm hoping and I'm hopeful for and wanting to think positively about this company and the reasons why they're making these pulls or why they're choosing to cancel rather than fail is because I think that is some transparency. I think that is, um, it, it is a very steep goal to set for yourself yep. for a company that doesn't have a lot of experience in the marketplace to set that high of a goal. But if, if that's what you're saying you need to make it, I am far more likely to support somebody who says I need $150,000 to make this really quality game that when I don't have a lot of experience doing that, than somebody who's coming in, never made a game before or made one game before and they're saying that I need $10,000 to make this happen. Yeah. I don't always know if that's realistic. Agreed. And for the listeners, in looking at some research on like board games and stuff, plastic, yes, it is cheap. 
but the first mold that you make, because you have to make it, cast it, and then get it made into metal, that mold's probably going to cost a company up to $10,000. But then everyone after that's going to be super cheap because they just pour the plastic in, cool it off, done. Pour the plastic in, cool it off, done. Um, but there's a ton of components in here that are really custom models for the backers. And so I'm right there with you, Josh. Um, I do wish them the best of luck with this. I do think that they're taking the high road, um, especially because they did in, in that email uh, that they sent out. They included a survey that anyone who's on Kickstarter can log in and take the survey. You so if you want to go check out this, uh, check out District Nine, the board game. Hop on, click on uh, updates, and then click on the thank you message, and then you'll be able to take this survey and ask questions about you. Uh, just very briefly, um, they're wanting to hear from you and what prompted you to look at the campaign, your thoughts on the price point, your thoughts on the everything, the gameplay, what should be revamped. And so I really think they're wanting to hear from you. So if this sounds like something that you might be interested in, or if you're a District 9 sci-fi fan and you want to see this come to fruition, go give them your feedback, um, because I know as a content creator, we'd all appreciate having that. Um, so that all being said, Josh, um, we talked a little bit about this. What's another one for you? So the next thing I have here to talk about is actually it has not dropped yet. But there has been a lot of marketing, a lot of push for this game, and that is On Mars, uh, the new game by Vitalis Cerda and artist Ian O'Toole. So this is a game that Vitalis Cerda Ian O'Toole have worked together on a lot. Uh, so these two work together in Escape Plan that is coming out this year just kickstarted very successfully lisboa in 2017 venos in 2016 or sorry venos in 2010 i think ian o'toole only worked on the deluxe edition though correct. that came out in 2016 correct they have made ian o'toole phenomenal artist vitalis erda is one of the most accredited and award-winning and just really, really beloved game designers out there right now. He, um, this has been pushed a lot on, on Facebook and, uh, social media. Mm -hmm. It looks really, really interesting. So this is a game in which you are playing as the first settlers of Mars you are trying to essentially make life possible on Mars. You're setting up your base stations, your domes. Um, you are trying to make Mars habitable. Looks really, really interesting in terms of game design. Again, artwork, Ian O'Toole has knocked it out of the park once again without a doubt highly recommend this is launching on april 18th there are facebook there's a facebook event to announce this launch um i have followed that facebook event so that i am reminded on april 18th right to go there to with kickstarter you. it is it looks phenomenal i'm very very excited i I think that they did the right thing in waiting a little while to do another Mars game uh, after 
the wave that was terraforming Mars and Red Planet, or Red Planet, and and some of the other games that First all came Martian, out around all the things yep. two to three years ago. Mm-hmm. There was a big sweep of Mars games. This looks like the next big Mars game. Um, you know, or Vital Lacerda, I will say his games are incredibly complex, incredibly deep and crunchy. If that's not your style, maybe this game isn't for you. It is a longer play time, about 90 minutes to an hour or to 150 minutes is what they're estimating. So, you know, it is definitely not those entry level or bridge level style games that we were talking about earlier in the episode. This is definitely a much, much crunchier, heavier, thinkier game. But if that's something that interests you and that's something that I'm incredibly excited for, definitely give this one a look Uh, again on Mars is the name coming out on April 18th. Yeah, I got to read this little paragraph that I found on BGG for it because I think it sums up that crunchiness into like, well, how would that relate to the game? So first of all, on the right-hand side of BGG, it talks about the game mechanism. So it's got area control, hand management, pickup and deliver, point-to-point movement, tile placement, and variable phase order. But specifically, actions may be to build buildings, rovers or ships, produce to buy or sell resources, to explore, and to research. Actions take the form of worker placement, cards in buildings, scientist tokens, or textiles. All those actions have an energy cost, so upgrading the generators and existing power grid is very important. At the same time, most of the buildings need ore to be built, plus energy, plus people, and oxygen to run. Settlers need food and water and shelter to be able to to survive. The food and water and oxygen need to be stored. So if you can't store enough, the population will not grow. So it sounds like everything is interconnected, which is, let's face it, if you're terraforming a planet, that's exactly how that's going to go. But you're right, Eno Tool has never let us down. Um, I know you and I have loved playing Captain Nemo. Um, It's just been awesome. So he did the art for that as well as many other games. So I also am following this. It's got little custom screen-printed rovers for player characters. So check that out. April 18th, it's going to be on Kickstarter. Um, On a similar, similar Mars note... Um, I do not have much detail about this, but you're going to want to know if you are a fan of this game, and that game is Terraforming Mars. So Terraforming Mars, for the first time in that game's brand history, we've talked about Terraforming Mars before. So base game, it was nominated for the uh, Kenner Spiel des Jahres. It's like the gamer game of the year from Germany when it first came out. It's a wonderful game. that game has had numerous expansions, all of which everyone that ever gets added, people love it, and it really adds to the game in a positive way. So they've got Prelude. They've got Colonies that just came out. There are additional maps. There's Venus Next. Well, for the first time in Terraforming Mars history, and Terraforming Mars is put out by Indie Game Studios, specifically Stronghold Games, they will be kickstarting Turmoil on April 16th. So... 
Turmoil is going to be a small box expansion from everything they're saying. It's going to add in some more corporations, kind of beef up some of the other aspects of the game and make it a little bit tighter. Um, and so do you check that out if you're a fan of Terraforming Mars? Or you have friends who are, let them know about this because I know they're going to want to hear about it. I know that was quick, but there actually isn't that much information out there about it right now. Um, but again, April 16th on Kickstarter. Terraforming Mars is super popular, uh, so check that out. Um, Josh, I see you have something pretty interesting listed here next. Yeah, so this next one actually announced and released the day we are recording this episode. Uh, not expecting this one either, so a whole lot of surprises here. Um, that is Planet of the Apes miniature game. <laughs> so I did a little bit of digging into this beyond just the the name, which obviously attracted my attention relatively quickly. Um, apparently is attracting a lot of people's attentions relatively quickly because as I just watching, we are up to... 88,000 out of the 100,000 goal, and this announced, like I said, today. earlier today. Uh, this is obviously based on the IP, the Planet of the Apes, uh, iconic intellectual property since the late 60s. Um, this is a miniatures board game. There are... Uh, Three things that there are three boxes that they are announcing here. You can purchase one, two, three, or if you want to really go all in on this for an all in back pledge of $260, get all three boxes together. So this is not going to be cheap. Yep. You can uh, support this game and people are definitely supporting it. I completely understand why um you know people love planet of the apes i love planet of the apes i don't know if i have it in me right now to go with a 250 dollar or 260 dollar pledge on this one um but i mean they are definitely pulling out all of the stops if you are looking at the miniatures on this they look great uh, they are incredibly unique. They've done a really, really good job with creating characters from both the 60s slash 70s franchise mm -hmm. and the new modern franchise. So the difference of the boxes, you can back with the... Uh, sorry, you can back with the Origins Pledge, which will get you a board game based off of the planet of the apes origins characters you can back with the Murwood pledge which will give you the war of the planet of the apes modern miniatures you can back with both of those and then the third box is actually the reforestation pledge which just gets you these giant really cool forest tree miniatures with standees for you to place your uh, ape miniatures on top of. These things are huge. They are really, really impressive. Um, not really surprised that is going for $65 just for the trees. But 
it looks really cool. Um, it is a cooperative game. You are cooperating as the apes to fend off the uh, humans who are attacking. So there's some interesting um, kind of game design there where it is. I, I wasn't I was expecting like a, a war game almost when I saw this uh, a two person um, kind of miniatures war game. Yeah. But it doesn't look like that. It looks like a uh, one to four person cooperative combat game um, fending off the the humans here um, comes with several. So the origin box comes with four different game boards that you can play between. Uh, the this thing is nuts. It it looks great. Yeah. The thing that is really interesting to me about this is I'm looking into this company. It is W Y S I W Y Games. Not sure how they pronounce that. They have only done one other project, and that was a Z-Impact English language edition. Hmm. Uh, and it looks like they actually canceled that project. This is 88% funded. We're not even through one day, so it's definitely looking like it's funding. I'm really intrigued as to the story behind this and how this company was able to acquire such an iconic and huge IP. Yeah, and looking at the company, I'm on their Facebook page right now. They do have almost 2,000 followers of the company, which is a lot. Um, when you think of we're kind of in a niche marketplace to begin with. My thing, my thing about this, Josh, and I, I don't know if you're in your research, you were able to find anything. Well, first of all, before I get into that, actually, this thing is six-inch tall miniatures of the Statue of Liberty coming out of the sand. The Icarus spaceship in the water. Like, these things are 100% not necessary. They're just, like, flavor to add on your board. Um, they've got the, like, these giant six-inch statues as well as a lot of custom miniatures. My problem, though, Josh, and I don't know if you have seen anything with this, I don't see anything on this page that tells me how this game actually plays. No, this I, page I really, is one of the largest Kickstarters I've ever seen, and I can't find a dang thing. Yeah, I I have no idea. Um, I'm looking through. It, it gives you everything you get. You get, and you get a lot. I mean, you're talking 97 cards, 144 tokens, environment tiles. Armies like galore, custom miniatures yeah. for every single type of ape, like not you know, any repeats. Six, 60 or 50 miniatures in one box, another 50 or 20 in another, 30 in another. Yeah, it's nuts. But yeah, you're right. In terms of gameplay, when you get into the where it talks about gameplay, you can set your game. You can have one, two, three or four players. There's apparently some way in which you can set a time frame anywhere between 30 and 120 minutes. There are different modes, ambush, attack, and defense. And then there's not much else. Yeah, it doesn't say what any of that means. Like, there's literally nothing. You, doesn't tell you anything else about this. I mean, 
yeah, I'm I'm really interested to see how this does. Yeah, me too. And and what the gameplay looks like. Um, they're definitely going to fund. I have no yeah. doubt about that. I'm just uh, I'm ca- cautiously optimistic. Yeah. My concern here is that this does appear to be a Kickstarter exclusive, which means if you're not backing it, you're not likely to get the game. So I think FOMO is going to get a lot of people on this one. I don't think I'm going to be able to fall prey to that on this one. It, an untested company with a right. major IP, a lot of miniatures, and it looks like the miniatures they're showing us here are um, not actual copies. They look like they are digital creations. You're 100% um, correct. And so we're, you know, I have some question marks, yep. but I be cautious. I would y'all. love to see this. Uh, I would love to see this IP come to come to the table. Yeah, and just just quick note for listeners: just as you're going through this stuff, you have need really need to make your own educated decisions about all this because we're going to put stuff out here for you to hear, but it's also important for you to do your own little research because. Just because you back it on Kickstarter, it's not like going in in store in a store and purchasing something where you have a guaranteed transaction that you could they could take your money and it might blow out of proportions in terms of costs or different things for different games or something else happens and you might just not ever get it. Um, just as a quick forewarning about Kickstarters, um, it is not a guarantee. <laughs> you are funding a passion project, so just be aware. Um, be cautiously optimistic, but do your own due diligence as well. Just as a quick side note. Um, Absolutely. That being said, we have something that Josh and I is both, it's both near and dear to our hearts and actually um, was for me the first, what really got me into listening to podcasts um, because I really didn't dabble. Somebody told me about this. Um, and this is a podcast that really brought Josh and I a little bit even more together because of some of the content they talk about. And they actually have a Kickstarter up right now to fund for the next year. And that is the Secret Cabal Gaming Podcast. It's been around since essentially for podcasts, the dawn of time, something like eight years ago. They're on over 180 episodes, episodes every single week. Uh, may that be their main episode, which comes out once a month. That's like three hours long do shorter topic ones, uh, which go about an hour, or ones they've now added in that are specifically for role-playing games. But essentially, it's a group of buddies that really just talk about what's going on for them, um, have really great relationships in the industry, um, and just cause a lot of nonsense. Um, but they have started up a Kickstarter over these last couple of years, and I've actually put out a video about receiving the Kickstarter from last year from the 2018 one because they turned to this because the main guy, Jamie, uh, Jamie Clegley, he uh, puts out this Kickstarter so that way he can actually turn this into his full-time job. And he's been able to do that over the last two years, and we believe in them because it's a good thing for the hobby. Um, and we also believe in funding content creators because a lot of people in this industry are doing this out of a passion project like Josh and myself. Um, but the secret cabal has been doing some great things and I, I don't want to take up all the air on this, but Josh, uh, why don't you talk about what the secret cabal has meant to you and then we can dig more into what they're actually doing with this Kickstarter. Sure. I mean, 
I, so you're actually the person, uh, Bruce, who introduced me to the Secret Cabal. I I've been a big fan of podcasts for for a while now. I I had listened to a lot of podcasts before. I'd never listened to a gaming specific podcast until listening to the Secret Cabal. Um, I have dabbled in listening to some others since then, but really Secret Cabal is the one that I continue to go back to. It's it's what made me want to do a podcast uh, and, and want to join you on this podcast and the journey that you kind of taken uh, yourself down with with the um, board game impact and kind of what we're doing here today it is in large part, I think, due to listening to The Secret Cabal, right? It's, it is a group of friends and it really shows that it is a group of friends in their recording talking about board games in a way that is incredibly relatable and makes it a lot of fun. And it's, it's why I wanted to do this podcast because it brings a lot of joy to me. And I, I like the, the idea of being able to bring that same energy or that same or a similar energy or a similar kind of experience to other people and, and expand the hobby even more. And I thank you for saying that, Josh. And it, for me too, um, like the secret cabal was absolutely an inspiration. We in no means by any chance try to replicate what they do. I don't, I don't think anybody could ever actually do that. Um, because it is so authentic. It is so them and they are so unique. Um, but I am very thankful for what it has done for me. Uh, what it's brought Josh into all of this. It's helped build that relationship with us. And so this podcast absolutely is inspired by Secret Cabal as well as some other avenues as well. But um, these guys are just doing amazing, amazing things. They've also started adding in a lot of YouTube videos. Um, uh, one of the most popular ones that's come out is Games of games that are really great, but kind of have gone under the radar. Um, they've done some episodes where they brought in other content creators to actually make a like special episode where they're narrating um, essentially Cthulhu mythos for people. There's so many different publishers that have come behind this thing. So what you get if you back this thing is you get, uh, depending on your pledge level, um, all sorts of promos for games we've talked about on the show already, such as Terraforming Mars, such as Empires of the Void 2 by Red Raven Games, Evolution, which you can pick up like anywhere, Nemo's War, which is that game by Ian O'Toole, um, with the art by Ian O'Toole, Scythe, Brook City, Fireball Island, um, so Near and Far by Red Raven Games. Uh, it's just a phenomenal, phenomenal Kickstarter. Uh, Isaac Childress, who put out Gloomhaven with Cephalo Fair Games. Isaac has written custom scenarios with Jamie uh, that he did last year, and now there's a new one for this year. Berkey from Game Toppers, if you want to get a mat. He's made whiskey glasses for this thing. It's essentially bar by being part of, of just a cool group of people. Um, Josh and I, uh, we're going to talk real quick about, like, why we back and so just to call it i back i back this at the highest level that i could um personally for me it's uh, called the grand master pledge um i couldn't afford beyond that but the reason i do that it's 120 dollars um and that's of my own money and so the reason i do that is because this game this is brought so much to me, but also as I think about it and I think about the amount of content that's come out. So if I'm listening to a three hour podcast in a month, I pay 
a lot less than 10 bucks, uh, a lot more than 10 bucks to go see a movie with my wife that's only like an hour and a half. And so if I go see two movies to equate out to that, I'm paying a lot more than what it costs me to give them for 10 bucks a month, essentially what this boils down to. Plus all this other cool stuff and funding someone's hopes and dreams, not just giving it to some corporation, if that makes sense. Um, But it's just my way of saying thank you and my way of saying, please keep doing this because I I think we're better off as a hobby. Josh, why do you back? Sure. I mean, I'm going to echo pretty much exactly what you said. I mean, sure. Do I really, really want this uh, secret ball dice bag and this secret ball challenge coin? Yeah, those are fun things. I don't need them in my life. They're going to sit on my shelf and be kind of decorative pieces. They're not worth the the money that I spend on this. This is not about a physical reward. Um, this is 100% about supporting the people who are making content that I enjoy. I kind of put it in perspective of some of the other things that I spend, that I subscribe to, right? So I subscribe to Netflix. I subscribe to Spotify. I will say that I spend as much time listening to the Secret Cabal podcast as I do watching Netflix. Now, I'm unique. I don't watch a lot of TV, but in a month, I probably spend a good seven, eight hours listening to the podcast, and that's not including the YouTube channel. So... Yeah, that's that's worth $10 a month to me. That is worth the cost of entry. And like you said, it it's going to people who are actually creating the content. It's going to support an individual who I have a lot of respect for. Um, I really do. I think what Jamie and the entire Secret Cabal has done for the industry is a big net positive. I... I really encourage our listeners to really support any content creator that you you receive entertainment and receive joy from, right? Time is not free. And so when we are when anyone is putting the amount of time, dedication and energy into a project that brings you joy, something like the secret cabal does for me, I think that deserves monetary support. Yeah. I, I think people's time and energy is worth supporting. And so that's, that's really what it comes down to for me is I want to support the people who are making content that bring me joy. Yeah. And I think that that just hits the nail on the head, Josh. And, um, so ways you can do that, hop on Kickstarter, um, Josh and I talked before this episode, and Josh, I didn't know if you were going to mention it, but I'm just going to say it. Um, you brought up the fact of, like, many of us have lived at times living paycheck to paycheck. Could you imagine if your paycheck to paycheck was one time a year? Yeah, and, and Jamie's talked about this on on his on the podcast on YouTube videos. This is his full time job creating a podcast, creating the content. He wrote a book that that you get a digital copy of if you support this about 
role playing game, uh, designing role playing games. This has become a full time job for him, and I can understand. You know, just doing this recording, it is it it is time consuming, and I'm not the person editing it, Bruce. Like, props to you for for doing that. Appreciate you, but we're and we're not producing near the amount of content nope. that that these guys are. And so I can understand that needing this to be a full-time job to make the amount of content that they do and to know that you have to pay your mortgage and you have to feed your family for a year and do all of these things and you've got one shot a 24-day window in which you have to raise that money. Yeah, that's that's got to be really, really anxiety-inducing. I can't even begin to imagine that. And yeah. so, yeah, like I, I really want to throw my full support behind this Kickstarter or really any media Kickstarter because these guys aren't alone in being content creators who are asking for people to support them on Kickstarter. I think a lot of people have got it into their heads that Kickstarter is this pre-order system. I pay money, I receive a product. And that's not what this is. This is we're giving you a product for free. You're going to receive the project product either way. It would be really really helpful if you allowed us to continue to make the quality of product that we want to make and to and continue to improve on the quality of the product that we're making. And I think, uh, Josh, I think you've painted a great picture of everything. Um, and I, I know we've talked about this uh, kind of a lot, but if you uh, like something that someone is doing, support it. Um, but the Secret Cabal Gaming Podcast is something that Josh and I wholeheartedly believe in. Um, they mean a lot to us. And so we highly encourage you to A, check them out. Um, go and listen to their episodes. Just jump right in. You'll feel part you'll feel like home. Um, check out the different content. You might learn something new if you've never tried role-playing games, if you've never tried other different things. So just go check them out. Go support them if you can. Uh, but if anything, if you can't make a monetary donation, it's always great to also spread the word to others. Hey, I've heard good things about this. Maybe you'd also be interested in checking it out. Um, so I don't want to belabor it too much more, Josh. And so I got one more Kickstarter for us to talk about that is more of a solo experience rather than a group experience for many of us. Um, that you and I have been talking about, and that is McKee by, I believe that's how you say that, it's M-A-Q-U-I-S by Side Room Games. So this yeah. game, yeah. Josh, do you want to jump in? Sure. I, I mean, this was a, a kind of an interesting situation that we were able to to talk back and forth about because I'm pretty sure right after I backed this, I received notification in my email that you had also backed this. <laughs> yep. Uh, so that that sparked a little bit of a conversation. I'm I'm really excited about this. I think we talked last week was when I talked about um, really enjoying some solo experiences when it comes to the board game hobby. Wow. I really enjoy solo board games, and and this is one that has been on my radar for a while. This is a reprint of a, I believe a game from 2013. Yeah. Josh, I'm just going to clarify. So you enjoy playing with yourself. (laughs) Let's not go there on this one. Bruce. No, we're not going there. I just need to say it. So like, yeah, but I do need to just clarify before we dig any deeper. Yes. Listeners, if you are just getting into games, solo gaming is a thing. 
Um, many games sometimes come with a thing called an Ota- uh, Automa deck, so auto deck, in which that deck will replicate whatever the game, like the other players would be doing on a turn. Um, this kind of has some of that, but solo gaming, if you think playing solitaire, but add a board, add mechanics, more mechanics, add game to that, um, not just putting down cards. Uh, but I just thought that was important for gamers to understand and listeners to understand before we dig any deeper into this that that's a thing because they might not know. Absolutely. And, and in my opinion, a really rewarding thing. There's, there are people out there who are not fans of solo games. Totally understandable. I've talked to, at nauseum in the past episodes about why I love the reason I love board gaming so much is the community that is involved in board games and, and in connecting with people over the board. That is the reason why I am obsessed with this, this whole board gaming thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but solo games can also be rewarding in their own right, and and it also be really really entertaining and fun. So Bruce, why don't you tell us a little bit more about? Sure. I believe it's Maqui. Maqui actually. The we'll go with that Maqui. Um, so Maqui, well, side room games first got on the map. So if if you're listening, if you've been listening closely, first we talked about like we talked about Planet of the Apes. This is their second game, right? Um, and mm-hmm. same thing with Weta Workshop. This is the second game created on Kickstarter by Sideroom Games. The difference is these games existed before coming onto this thing. So Sideroom Games came out with a game called Black Sonata last year. Black Sonata, you are essentially a detective trying to track down this woman in Europe, but it's during more Shakespearean times. Um, but it's fascinating little game that actually has holes punched in cards. And so you essentially put the card, overlap the cards, turn it over and you'll, it has a little hourglass, not an hourglass, but a spyglass cut out. And you'll see if you found the woman, it's a fascinating mechanic that has never been seen in games before that game won the, Board Game Geek uh, Solo Game of the Year or the Print and Play Game of the Year. So people submit these games that other people can just print out for free and play, and Black Sonata won that award. Sideroom Games wanted to take that game that they had made and just make it in available in a box. So they had already made the game. They knew what they were doing. McKee is the same kind of thing. Um, it did not win the print and play game of the year. However, it was, a, it was nominated in a runner-up for the 2013 solo print and play contest. And so they have a vast experience in terms of making games and putting these things out. Black Sonata has done very well. I own it. You'll be seeing a video come out soon about it. This one is very different. It's not during Shakespearean era. What it is is you are essentially a rebel slash spy group in Nazi Germany. And what you're doing is you have your little workers hiding in a safe house and you have to put them out on this board and there's routes. So essentially it's a route building game. 
and hope that as you turn over cards for the military, the patrol, there's two levels of them, the basic military or like the more advanced ones, that they're not going to surround you or arrest your people. And so you're trying to accomplish the two missions that you have for your game in 15 days, because there's a day tracker, before the military finds you and shuts you down. Um, and so you, how, how you're going to be doing that, you're going to be going to different areas like the um, grocer to get food. And then you might go to the black market to turn that food into money. And then you might take money in uh, the, at the fence, so like a literal fence. So a fence in more like criminal organizations, you give them money, they're able to get you some product um, and can get you some weapons or you build different areas on the board and just hope that they don't surround you and cut off your route back to the safe house they have to make it to back each night. Um, so this game is super cheap, actually. It's only $24 for the entire game and all of the stretch goals, which it has already unlocked a ton of stretch goals in the last couple of days. And it's just a really fun game. I've watched through a couple of playthroughs of it. Cannot wait to get it. Someone from the Secret Cabal, Steve actually is quoted on here. So Steve always wants to get in a Kickstarter quote. He like never gets to make it happen. Uh, but he actually put that playing McKee, uh, uh, McQua, sorry, is a great so, way. No, you were correct. It is McKee. It I is McKee. It okay, McKee. Aha. Um, playing McKee is a great way for a solar player to get some training on thwarting Nazis, which is always fun. Viva la France. Um, but it's a, it's a fun little game. Um, doesn't seem actually that complex to learn, but complex to master because there's a whole mission deck and you're only picking two. And so there's a lot of different combinations that could come up. Josh, what have you been able to see as you go through this? Right. right. So, hey, I think I think one thing I do want to kind of talk about is just the theme of the game and the name of the game. So, Maki actually is uh, a it was a guerrilla band of French resistance fighters during World War II. So that is where the the name Maki comes from. Is it is actually uh, a an actual group that that fought during the Nazi occupation of France in World War II. So you are playing ostensibly as a member of this or, or as this this band of, of fighters. The thing that makes a solo game fun is the difficulty level. And looking through this, listening, uh, hearing from reviewers and some of those types of things, this does not seem like a simple game at all, right? In in playing a solo game or a cooperative game where you're not competing with someone else, you really need to feel as though there's something at stake. And this definitely, I think, does that mm -hmm. from what I'm looking at here. I think the 15 day track, uh, 15 day tracker is some brilliant game design because right. This, the, they estimate this game as being about 30 minutes long. A, I think that's an excellent length of game for a sol solitaire game. I also think that that gives you a lot of intense, uh, a really intense, they're breathing down your neck. It's over before you know it kind of 
feeling when you're playing a game like this. So I, I have not had a chance to play Black Sonata. Um, I've heard really, really great things about it. That was actually what led me to to back this. The second was I've heard so many good things about Black Sonata, same company, a very successful print and play, relatively cheap to get in on. All of those things add together for a no-brainer in my opinion, or for me as someone who does enjoy solo games as someone who does want to kind of have this experience. It's a worker placement solo. I've not seen a worker placement solo Mm. ever. So that's incredibly intriguing to me. I'm really looking forward to this one. And so I just did a little bit more digging. um, And I think they're misrepresenting themselves, like underselling themselves because they have the board game geek nominee badge on there. And technically, that's true because they were a nominee. But there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen categories for that print and play contest. They took first place in like four of them. So yeah. they're putting the lo- the wrong logo on this. Um, so they won best small game. They won the game that has the best hand and resource management mechanic. They won. They did get second place for best thematic, but then they won best artwork and they won best overall game for 2013 print and play. So like, dang, like this is a super solid, super solid, like as if I wasn't already like encouraged enough to back this in the first place, which obviously I have backed it. I've already said that a couple of times. This is just a good game that I cannot wait to get to the table. And I think honestly, Josh, I got to call it that, pressure of 30 minutes having that limited time but also you're being surrounded i didn't live through it but i'm just going to assume that has to be part of what the feeling is like being in an occupied area no matter what war you're in just got to call that yeah i'm trying to do something against the grain the the surrounded on all sides they're breathing down your neck it's it could be over at any minute mentality i think is is a great way to kind of capture that feel of of the theme right when you're when you're talking about what what i really love in a game is when when i really what i really love about a thematic game is when you feel like the theme is real when you have some type of when the theme elicits an emotion and the mechanics echo that same emotion so that is mckee Uh, it's on kickstarter it's doing very well congratulations side side room games on all that um the optional higher tier backing is already gone so if you wanted your name in the box that ship has sailed Um, but it's 24 dollars um but with all that, Josh, I think it's time. Uh, we run a little bit longer on this one, um, but it's time to bring this episode to a close. Listeners, we hope that this has been helpful for you. Again, my name is Bruce Brown, and you can find me on Board Game Geek as Bruce Brown. I'm Josh Isringhausen. I'm on Board Game Geek as Bad Wolf 90. 
for any Whovians out there. <laughs> um, so we just want to say thank you for taking this time. We hope that this has all been very meaningful for you and that the learning about what experiences are going on for us does make that positive impact on your gaming group. You can learn more about us by visiting our website, boardgameimpact.com. If you'd like to have a specific topic discussed, please email us at boardgameimpact.com. Let us know what you think about these new formats we've been experimenting with. We would love to get your input. Thank you to those who have already reached out. And that's actually why we cut down some of the stuff today and had that area of focus in terms of what we've been playing. And then let's just really focus in on Kickstarter. So thank you for that feedback and just keep it coming. We love y'all. Um, follow us on Instagram, which is Board Game Impact. Like the Facebook page, which is Board Game Impact, so you can stay up to date on the latest updates. It's also where we post different videos or questions. So if you want to stay engaged, go to Facebook, hop on there. And we've talked about this a little bit before um, in terms of really supporting your content creators. And from that perspective, we just want to say thank you to our phenomenal Patreon backers for supporting the show. That support means more than you can possibly know. It's the reason Josh was able to get added to the show. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider hopping on and supporting the show, which is Patreon. So it's patreon.com slash boardgameimpact. You can actually read about some of the cool goals that we have on there that we're trying to unlock to bring even better content to you. Uh, if, if that's not possible, or if you want to go a step further, please do share this with your fellow gaming friends. Like let them know that you're listening to the show. That would really mean a lot. Um, as you're about to hit next on the next episode of podcast in your app, please do rate, uh, this in the podcast app of your choice. So that way others can find it, increase that SEO. Uh, but also, uh, really want you to head back to the website. So if you enjoyed any of the games that we talked about and would like to purchase any of those for yourself, there's a new area added. Or if you're a podcaster trying to get into podcasting yourself, that that tab is called Games and Gear. And a small portion of any of the proceeds from any of those sales do su directly support the show. So that's another way as well. Um, but with all that, Josh, do you have any closing messages for our listeners? Thank you all for listening. I really do appreciate it. Thank you for bringing us into your lives in this way and until next time go, go have, have a positive, positive impact. impact on the world uh thanks so much y'all go out game and keep making positive things happen we love y'all bye